Welcome, welcome. Today we have our guest, Pupe Marashi, my very dear and special sister who is based out of Los Angeles, California. And she is the very first person that I have the honor and pleasure of interviewing on the Spark of Splendor podcast. I just want to share that the reason that I'm calling this podcast Spark of Splendor is because there's a verse in the Bhagavad Gita that is referencing Krishna saying how all beautiful creations in the world are but a spark of divinity splendor. And the purpose of this podcast is to celebrate the creative spark. And Pupe, you are one of the most creative people that I know. And creativity has always been such a big part of your perspective, even as you've been a lawyer and as you've tried to bring creativity so into that field and all over into your life. So thank you so much for being here, Pupe, for being my very first guest. Namaste. <laughs> Okay. All right. So my first uh, background question, what's one thing that you're very deeply grateful for right now? My children, my, God. my mother, my mother, who's in the background. <laughs> I think you should have mom in the back of all of your podcasts, making comments. <laughs> That'd be funny. Um, and yeah, my family. Just I'm really be grateful my for side my yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Um, tell me a little bit about your origin story or your childhood. Something you like to share with people, whether it's your spiritual tradition or just some context into your life growing up. Well, everyone always asks me because my name is so weird Pupe. they're always like what does your name mean and actually I was hanging out with someone yesterday who told me that my last name Arashi means joyous and happy isn't that interesting piece did you know that yeah he looked it up at first he was like your first name means that and I was like I'm pretty sure my first name does not mean that and then he's like no I looked it up and your name means that anyways it turns out they looked up Marashi and Marashi means joyous and happy how funny is that because oh. I'd have to say that I've really experienced a lot of joy in my life. And I also have to say that I was telling this person yesterday that I really feel like, like God has been the portal of joy in my life. Like I really do believe that God has for sure always been the portal of joy. I don't know if I would have had that joy in my life without God, but usually when I think of my childhood, oddly because of my name and like the description, I'd have to like consistently give on my name. That's been something that is a part that I've probably reiterated over and over, but it's not my most favorite part because it's not very substantive. It's more like explanatory, but um, to otherwise answer your question about my origin story, I was born in Iran and I love it there still. <laughs> so you love it there. Uh, what do you love about it? how free I am when I'm there. That's what I said, free. <laughs> free in Iran, in the Islamic Republic. Mm -hmm. What mm -hmm. makes you feel so free there? I feel like I'm home. I feel like everything makes sense there. Even my name, Pupe, makes sense there. Um, yeah, I feel like 
I understand it and it understands me. It understands my grandma. It understands my mom. It understands everybody in my family. It understands my father. It just understands things in a way that I feel like living in the suburbs of America never really did. Iran is like a personality. The way you're describing it. I mean, I guess, like, yeah, maybe everything's a personality. Like, what's not, I mean, everything. But will you tell me about some books, people, or ideas that have changed your life the most? Or you could just speak to three people who've had the most impact on your life. No, I, I can actually, like, I could really think of, I can think, I can really answer your question piece. Okay. Um, it would be, like... For sure, I was just telling Adela this the other day. I was 14 years old when I read um, How to Stop Worrying and How to Start Living. And like, you know me. Carnegie. Yeah, by Dale Carnegie. And I think it's the book. Like, I like it was funny. I played this game with Seth where he like opened up a page or like a section and I like told him what that section said. Like that's how well that book has remained in like the core of myself that I can just open, like somebody can open something up and I can kind of remember like where in the book it is, what that lesson is, right? That's how. Wow, you like have that whole book by heart basically. Like sort of, sort of. Yeah, that's how much I just love that book. No, it just really, really, really affected me. Maybe it was because I was really open because I was so young. I don't know what it was. So that's one thing was the Dale Carnegie book. The Only Dance There Is by Ram Dass. I mean, that's also something that like to this day, I have copies of The Only Dance There Is that I give people. Um, it was just such a great intro to a whole different way of thinking. I carried with me always that the only thing that I ever, ever have to offer another human being is my own state of being. Taking action. I mean, I like to the whole entire Bhagavad Gita is about taking action, right? Like taking action. I mean, taking action is so powerful and it, it like you are offering a state of being, but it's hard to know which, like the action that you're going to take in that state of being, right? What's the action that I'm offering? I could be at whatever state of being, but what's the action that I'm offering? It's, it's really tricky there. So that's, the, that's another um, one. So it's Ram Das, it's Dale Carnegie. It's your openness at the time of your life when you were receptive, you really took in. And I'm also curious, like, well, maybe that kind of, we can even tie it back. Like what were some of the ideas? Like you mentioned some from the Ram Das book, but what are some ideas from the Dale Carnegie book that really resonated that you often reflect on in your life? Just not stressing, but I oftentimes think about how he's like, there was this great forest and it was destroyed not by firefly, uh, fire fires, not by floods, not by any of like these major catastrophic things, but these little bugs that are so small that you could like crush them with your fingers. And it's like how, it's like the little things of life that really destroy us. Like we can totally withstand crises, but like we really have a hard time with the little stuff in life. So that I thought was like super interesting, right? Mm. But- So what was his that, take on that? What was what? His take on that. I don't, I don't remember if it was anything more than just like be cautious of the fact that, you know, well, it's the little things that are really going to be the things right. that like get under your skin, you know? So it's like, you can, cuts. yeah, exactly. 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 And then there's something else. Okay. I, and I have to say this, like for absolute sure, like just 
for absolute sure, like one of the most formative, like the most like of my youth formative was Martin Luther King Jr. Um, for absolute sure, I remember I memorized his entire I Have a Dream speech um, mm. in sixth grade. In sixth grade, I was 10 years old because as you know, I graduated when I was 16 and I like skipped a grade and was a genius. Yes. So anyways, um, when uh, I heard of Martin Luther King Jr., I was just like, dude, here's this person who like declared this super powerful dream and um, like influenced millions of people to like take action in pursuit of it, like Gandhi. Um, I watched the Gandhi movie I don't remember how old I was when I first watched it. And I was like, dude, I just, I knew it's so funny that I should end up in civil rights because I really I, like, like those were the like two icons to me growing up. Um, I never really thought of that actually until you asked the question. That was a great question piece. Thanks. Okay, let's move on. I don't want to keep talking until we have to talk for longer than two minutes. So if you were to go back, I remember 17 year old Pupé who was like, I want to be secretary general of the United Nations. And I kind of remember 10-year-old Poupe. But if you were to go back to yourself at a younger stage of your life, you can pick the time. Let's just say the 17-year-old. What advice would you give yourself at the age of 17? Well, I thought about this a lot. I'm not sure if this is my answer anymore, but I know what I've been telling myself that I would have told myself. I'm not sure if this is the only answer that I'd give myself, but it was it'd probably be to hurry up and get married and have kids as soon as possible. Mm. Because I really feel like I wasted my twenties, like just trying to find a partner and like going out like stupidly. So I'd really have to say, I think there's like always been something culturally in the culture that we've like grew up in, which is really like a very Western culture mm. that was, and like that was that there was this idea and it's interesting because even like the Iranians that I see a lot of them don't end up having kids a lot of, like I was the first at 33 years old um like with all of my friends that had kids you know it was like really interesting to me like there's this idea in like Persian culture of like I don't know like kids are like really a responsibility maybe it was because the revolution and the war or whatever it was but like I didn't grow up with this idea of like what a blessing kids were so I think that if I could go back to my 17 year old self, it would be just freaking get married. Like while daddy's alive, bust out your kids while everyone's alive and they can actually like be in that community because if you wait too long, everyone's going to be dead. So yeah. People who lived between cultures, it almost seemed harder because you were like navigating two cultures and trying to kind of like assess, like, what is my culture? Where do I belong? How am I going to integrate? Like, the Western and the Middle Eastern worldviews. And yeah, that's definitely something we've talked about extensively and how in that type of, especially for any, any person who's living between different cultures or has multiple cultures that they're growing up in, that becomes a concern, right? Or like a, just like a question of like, what is my identity? How do I want to raise my kids? What kind of partner do I want? Versus like, here you are, you live here, pick someone, good, good luck, you know? Yeah. We've talked somewhat about creativity. Um, 
I want to ask you, if you were to write a book tomorrow, what would you write about? Um, this is really meant to be fun for you. And like, you don't have to commit to any of these ideas, but it's really just like exploratory and generative. And if you want to pass, you can pass and I can ask you a different question. Thanks, peace. Um, I... I could, if I was going to write a book, um, ideally, if I was going to write something, it would be a play, not a book. Actually, I was going to say that. I was like, well, if you're going to do a play, what would your play be about? So why don't you tell us about your play? A little I bit. I don't know, but. Like, what I'm would not... you want people to experience in watching or being in your play, watching and seeing it? Well, um. I can tell you something that comes to mind right now is I was looking at, um, I forgot that I had discovered last year, I was listening to Gugush. And, was very popular from like the 60s, 70s. Yeah, and she had written something, and, and I, I hadn't known this, but like the person who wrote most of her music is this guy whose name is Aradalon Sad Afroz, Sarfaros. I don't know why I can't remember his last name. Crap. Anyways, um, I'm just gonna look at it so that I do know. He Ardalan Sarfaros, yeah. And he is alive still. Like you wouldn't think that the person that wrote all the Gugush songs would be young enough to be alive still, but I think he was born in 1950, actually. Mm -hmm. So he's like in his early 70s, which is amazing. Because you wouldn't think that the person that wrote all like the really, really famous Gugush songs would still be alive. So I was thinking maybe it would be something about him and something like, I don't know, like something that involves like the passage of time. You know, I told you how I wrote this song about grandma and grandpa that was so sad that Adela started crying like within 30 seconds of hearing it. So it would probably be something that was really sad. Because I really like things that are sad. But I hear that, like this idea of like the passage of time. I'm reminded of that painting that you made. It is not just one thing. And the person <laughs> curled up in a ball. And like, there's all the things. It's kind of back to your death by a thousand cuts. So speaking of many little things, I have a section of questions around routines and rituals. And I'd like you to just share with me Anything about habits or routines that you cl hold close to your heart? Um, anything you want to share about your evening routine or your morning routine? And what are some routines and rituals that boost your creativity? Um, yeah. So for sure, being around water is something that just anything. So like, just like simple things, taking a shower. Um, your spa office. Yeah, I haven't been going to this office so much lately, um, but I do like to go to the spa and work from there, the Korean spa that's close oh, to, office. yeah, that's close to our place in LA. I love the Korean spa. Um, um, do being able to pray five times a day, like that's like a ritual that super, like really, really connects me to source, like for sure. Um, the dude uh, honestly if I if I just floss my teeth at night you know 
Um, it's also something that I'm like, okay, gosh, killing it. <laughs> and I, I see a great resistance every time I sit at my laptop to do work, especially if it's work that I've not done before. And like as a lawyer, oftentimes I'm doing work that I'm I don't I haven't done before. Like today I had to like draft an explanation of damages. I've never had to draft an explanation of damages. And like when it's something I haven't done routinely and like I've got to learn something about it, like I'm just like, oh, how do I do this? How do I do this? And I could see that I keep putting it off and putting it off. It's sort of like before you know where to drop off something for an Amazon pickup, you're like, oh, how am I going to like return this to Amazon? And then you learn, oh, I can just drop it off without a box at, at Whole Foods. There we go. That's what I'm going to do from now on, right? Yeah. Before you had the information or you gained the knowledge, right? Like once you gain the knowledge, then it's easy. But it's like anytime there's that moment of like procrastination, it's because I'm lacking some knowledge that I need in order to move forward. So it's like I have to go find out what that knowledge is or what that information is or what the, who the person is in order to, right, like move on to the next step. Yes. yes. And actually that's a really good thing to remember because sometimes, yeah, there's that st- the sense of overwhelm, but if I just don't know, or I don't have the information that I need. And if, if we can actually like look, zoom out and kind of see, oh, I'm missing information, but I do the same thing. You know, I do the same thing where like, sometimes there's that sense of procrastination and then it's like, well, let me just research um what are questions I can ask for a podcast I don't have to write them all you know myself and then you know that's kind of like that was one thing but I'm sure with experience and also trusting yourself like you learn to modify certain things that aren't just like black and white like the Amazon example you have worked in the UN you started a credit bureau in Iran you have um done a lot of yeah you've been a civil rights lawyer helping um people who've been sued or wrongly sued by or sorry wrongly convicted or arrested by the police and suing the city on behalf of those people so maybe you could talk a little bit about your career and what are some of the things that you wish you knew when you began your career in civil rights um and just what are some things that really the essence of it is about what are some things that have happened that have either shifted your perspective or significantly transformed the way that you look at life and live your life? Okay, thanks for asking. So for sure, it's the thing that it's my current struggle, which is, and this is something huge in creativity. I think it's my trusting myself. Like, I think that we live in a culture where we're really afraid of being different because when we're really different, then like, that's not good whether it's because we're different because we're from another country and I think we've become way more accepting of that like in this like these past two generations than maybe in my generation and then I also think that like it was always like I I think other cultures like 
Persian culture, for example, really embraced like being different, right? Like being from a different culture. It's like, oh, Khariji Hasi, you know, it's like you're from somewhere else. How amazing. But in America, it was like it wasn't embraced, right? It was like the kid that like for me had the different food at lunch. I was embarrassed, right? Like it wasn't something that was like very much like celebrated. It was yeah. really frowned upon almost. Um so then coupled with you know like if you just said something wrong like in Iran if I'm like not speaking correct Farsi everyone's like oh that's so cute that you're saying that wrong but in America it's like god like you're shamed almost you know and 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 that like there's like a right way to be like and there's a like and if you're not that and you're not speaking in that right way and you're not then then you're doing something wrong you're like made wrong for being this way right it's different than like the standard which is like went to harvard right like who what's the ideal person the ideal person is the person that went to harvard and yale right like there that's your ideal okay so who 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 are you going to be as a graphic designer i'm going to be the gra- who are you going to be as a lawyer i'm going to be the lawyer that went to harvard law school you know well, maybe there is the same thing in iran but because we weren't as deeply immersed in the culture we had a different experience of what the standard was like you're saying I, it's dude, i'm not so sure it was so well, it's interesting the standard. the standard i don't know because Harvard or Yale and et cetera. Well, it's interesting because the power structure in Iran changed after the revolution. So maybe what was that person, it, it probably was like, like, like the figure, the power structures would have been like, oh, they went to Harvard and now they're in Iran, right? I think they would have said that. But now with the Islamic Republic, I don't know if that's the same power structure. I don't know if it's, maybe it's the person that's like, do they go to Karbala every year? They walk to Karbala every year, you know? And it's like, whoa, they walk to Karbala every year, right? But this homogenous society that I think that like America had imagined is the correct form of being. Um, So I think that's why I do so much work around mental health stuff because I actually think that we will not be we will not get to the place that we need to go as a society as long as we are so obsessed with um, not being crazy. Like, I think that we're so afraid. About your work in the mental health space, just for context for people who are listening. I mean, I just like, I like, so I am on the steering committee for correct crisis intervention today. New York City, which is like a coalition of organizations, including like NYCLU and the New York Lawyers for Public Interest and Community Access and NAMI NYC, a bunch of organizations that work in the mental health space and represent like people, their members who um, would like to have a different crisis response. So like right now, if someone's having a mental health crisis, they are, and they call 911 because like, like a parent doesn't know what to do for their child or like a sibling doesn't know what to do for their, like they'll call and they'll usually have the police that will come and the police are mandated to take the person to the hospital. And um, then they're usually released or they end up like having to stay. But 
the idea of having police responding to these calls, like to where the police come and they like literally handcuff, do whatever they need to do to get that person out. Because the person, if they are actually having a mental health crisis, is even more threatened by the police. Um, and it just is, is rather than having like a safe space and like some healing, it becomes like super adversarial. It's like all of a sudden they're being taken by the cops, you know? It's like, wait, I don't want the cops here, you know? And a lot of times like family members will even be like, do not send the police, just send an ambulance. But the way it's done in New York City is that no, for sure it's going to be the police because they're afraid that, uh-oh, what if this person, even if the person doesn't have a weapon, but just on the slight chance, it's like, we're so afraid. We're so afraid of people that have mental health issues. This idea of like the criminalization of mental health. Um, so I think, and it sucks because I, I, I think that as a result of all of this, we lose, we lose our own freedom to be diverse, right? Like, and I think that that's really important just for each individual in a society to lose their like, truth to wanting to assimilate because if they don't assimilate to the way that everybody else sees things and they are like found to be crazy but then like they literally have their rights stripped from them whether it's not being able to make their own mental health decisions such as making their health decisions such as being like discredited um you know in a company it's like oh this person's crazy they've always got crazy ideas we're not going to listen to them right it really is a way to diminish a person um that's it, how there's like a theme that you're that's building which is like in one sense it's around like dealing with mental health issues but then you were also talking about wanting to like fit in um <clears throat> like that was a concern of like how do I fit in thinking that there's like this kind of standard I have to live up to so this idea of fitting in and then diversity and embracing diversity and then also embracing mental health issues and like accepting people and rather than just dumping them on a police officer which is only going to exacerbate a situation when you take someone who's already struggling with some kind of crisis and then calling a police officer to show up at their door like that's gonna have tremendous impact and I remember you telling me like can you imagine you're freaking out if we were to get in a fight and like someone calls the cops and the cops show up like that's really intense you know like to have the cops show up at the door and it's like what um that's scary you know that's like mm, yeah it's scary and it's for sure it's going to make someone who's already stressed even more stressed so yeah so that's for sure so i think that's an interesting point that you're bringing up um there's so much that you just covered and i want to be able to like get to the important things so one of the things you mentioned was i like, can help you i can help you okay i don't want to i don't want to ruin your thought well, I was just going to say, like, dude, I think the bottom line is in order to be creative, you have to be really true to yourself. And it's really hard to be true to yourself when you're constantly listening to all of the outside noise. But in, on the other hand, if you want to be, like, true to yourself, you also don't want to be, like, um, canceled by everybody else, right? Um, so I think that it's 
really like hard. It's a lot. It's a lot for people. It's a lot to be able to be true to yourself and to not be afraid of being crazy. It's like, um, but I really believe that that's where we're headed. And I really believe that like, that's why the mental health work is really interesting to me because I think that if we can like really embrace people at like different stages of where they are and like not criminalize like mental health and not criminalize like seeing things so completely differently not not criminalize having voices inside of your head not criminalizing because those voices might actually be telling you something that's true it might be and to discount it and be like absolutely not it's like that every profit that we've ever had has just been crazy then every every single like I, I can't imagine that there's a single person that we can think of as a holy person but that's not like then defined by like dsm standards isn't or even scientists who had new ideas at the time everybody was like you're crazy right like That's was true. it Galileo and like other scientists who had like new ideas oh the earth is round and like or we're yeah. on this one's like you're crazy yeah. throwing you in jail like shut up we've got a different paradigm you're not allowed to think outside of our like little constraints so that's a really interesting point. And so in order to be creative, you have to really be true to yourself. And if you do that, you don't want to be canceled by everyone else. And you really brought a lot of emphasis there. So, you know, like we've been hearing a lot more about like mental health on social media and everyone's like becoming more aware of like, what is really mental cool. health? And how really do I cool. have mental health? But then when you said that thing about being canceled, it's like, I, I think of some celebrities who maybe have gotten canceled even after it's known that they have a mental health problem. Yeah, there's been, but we don't want to talk about that now. And so what else? So yeah, so it's like, it's interesting because it's almost like, on one hand, we're like mental health, mental health as a culture, but then it's like cancel, cancel, you know what I'm saying? And there's a, there's something we need to reconcile there culturally. Where yeah, And I think we're going to. So I'd like to say that I really believe that when we all have a seat at the table and we all have a voice at that table and like, we're, we're not dismissing people because they didn't go to Harvard. And we're not dismissing people because they're like from a population that we don't think knows anything. I think that that's going to be the time that we're really going to solve the problems. Like, um, God, there was this book that some woman wrote, like, I think she worked on a lot of development projects and she was like, what was her name? I don't remember. I wish I knew that. Okay. Anyways, but like, she was talking about how you have to have the end user's input. And like for so long at the United Nations, things weren't working because they weren't getting the feedback of the people who were using the service because they didn't respect the people that were using the service. That's what it was. They didn't respect that. They wouldn't bring that person in and be like, hey, can you come to the table? They're like, oh, no, no, no. We all are like from Europe and like we have totally, we're, we're like very educated and we really care about people. And that's why we live in our gated communities. And so we like, and we like really love to hang out with other people who are like expats like us in our gated communities where we're super educated 
and we all went to like really great schools and we're going to figure out everyone's problems for them. Um, but we don't want to hang out with them because like, and so they would like come up with all of these. And, and I, I worked at the UN myself as an intern. And so I know that that's not like that big of a deal or anything, but so I'm making fun of myself because that is who I was also. So I'm not just making fun of the people that acted like that. I, I was that person. I'm that person. I still, I, even as a civil rights lawyer for years, I was that person. So um, I speak from experience that I mock myself, not anybody else. Okay. Anyways, point is, well, I think you're also, you've also really taken to seeing what your clients think and hearing their feedback and listening to them. And personally, I've, I've experienced your deep care and well, thanks. But I have to say it took a long time for me to be able to like, stop looking at like them as a client and start looking them at them as my peers. See, before I, I, I always made like a distinction between like a client and like a colleague, right? But now I really see my clients as my colleagues and uh, as peers, but it took me a really long time. It was an evolution that took me there. And it was by really being like, am I dismissing a voice? Who, who is this ideal that I put in my head? Mm. And I, and it was clear to me, it was like this person that went to Harvard, whatever. Right. And Mm. then, and what is the, like, and, and, and what's the truth to me? And it was like, dude, that this person like has so much to offer me. Like I, I like if it, like if we're going to do a really good job on their case, like, like their input, like their perspective and, and dude, I, I have to like really, really credit one of like the people that really mentored me, which was on the like steering committee of CCIT with me, <clears throat> Christina Sparrow. Like she totally completely like her thing's always like we have to have a seat at the table you know and she just really made it clear to me like how like a peer that's why like CCIT really advocates for who's supposed to respond to someone that's having a mental health crisis duh someone that's had a mental health crisis someone that understands what a mental health because they've had one not because they studied it in school not because they took, you know, a hundred exams and wrote 50 papers, but because they've been there, they know how it feels. They know, like bring, take that person. That person's got the empathy, the compassion, the experience to truly be able. But it's like, as long as we're dismissing like people in black and brown communities, like, which is, has always happened in the international development fields, and it like and it's and it happens still still uh, like even in, in the city run as much as the city tries to be diverse in the city of new york especially it really does right it's like if your top decision makers are not the end user because the top decision maker has to have a phd or the top decision maker has got to have a masters you're not putting that top decision maker then you're not going to be able to solve your problem it's like I just, I don't get, we're not going to solve our problems without the absolute inclusion of everybody's voice. But we keep thinking that person doesn't know because we don't respect them. And as long as we don't respect that voice, like we're just going to be sitting here in our ivory towers having discussions. 
so, dude, it's just so clear to me the value of everyone's voice to solving the problems that we have, you know? And seeing the end user or the person who's actually benefiting from what you're doing, developing the laws you're making, the policies you're developing, um, which is a lot of what you do, um, that they're also have a, they're have they're having, or they have a seat at the table. It's like, if you, if you've been in the system, you know how to get out, but it's like, we don't trust them when they're like someone sitting here and be like, it's interesting because what's the idea of having a peer, especially like having a black and brown peer in like a really depressed neighborhood. It's like the city could give the money to organizations run by them. Right. Um, and there are organizations and like, they could respond, but it's like, there's no trust there. It's like, Oh, we don't know because, and it's not, and it's not one that one would say is based on race because a lot of times it's not, it's, it's not based on race. It's based on this idea that we have of what somebody would of the attributes and characteristics and qualities that a person would have well-spoken, organized, show up on time, right? Like what, what does a Harvard educated person have other than just a freaking degree, right? It's like, well, everything. what about character? Because that is like a, that is a factor, right? Like you might have some clients that have like really stellar character, right? But like, if someone's like, I guess if there was someone who was really dishonest, it would be kind of hard to like, would you really want them to be the ones who are? That's what we've got right now. We've got, I mean, our system's built with people that are dishonest. Like, it's like, it's interesting that like, we're going to be like, well, how about honesty? It's like, do we, we know for a fact there was just a article in Gotham mist like there was a there was a report by the Legal Aid Society about like police officers and um, how much they've cost the city like sixty eight million dollars like I think it's like ten police officers I don't remember the exact um, findings in the article but it was like dude the same ones like over and over again they've been dishonest we're still sending them we're still doing that we we allow how about how about like everything around COVID how about like how honest everybody was like take any how about the weapons of mass destruction and Iraq. How about how honest everybody was then? We totally ignored the dishonesty of every reporter almost. We totally ignored the dishonesty of all the politicians. But then we're like, well, what about dishonesty as a character trait? So it's this- like, well, so basically you're saying dishonesty is just a part of our entire system. And it's interesting. It's interesting, very interesting that we only point the finger at particular people. I always say this. Okay, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. You know what? And it's interesting who we choose to criminalize. I'm always, so it's like, yeah, but this person, this person committed this crime. And it's like, okay, all right. And I'm not saying that, you know, it's fine to commit crimes, but we, we're, we're, we're all considered, we're, we're all just committing crimes. It's interesting who we, who we punish for it. And I find that, I find it super, like, why did you choose to punish this person? That to me is a way more profound question than the question of what did this person do? Right. So it's looking at the whole system. It's like from the president to the, um, you know, the legal system and, 
Yeah. And then the people who were then like, you know, there's the white collar criminals and then there's the blue collar criminals who take a lot of hit. Right. As we've seen, um, this became a lot more political than I was planning. Well, no, because it's important in conversations about creativity to, to it, because you see, unless you're free, unless we're really free, it's very hard to be truly creative. And you can, you can, like, there's systematic things that keep us oppressed. And, and there are spiritual things. There are, there, and they all work in tandem. I mean, we're just approaching it from a different angle right now. We can also take a look at freedom on a very individualistic way, and that's fine. And to, to look at like the things that like actually constrain us spiritually in yeah. being able to be truly free. So I, I think that I, I really do think that they're all like facets of the same truth. And we did approach one. But I do think that it's all interconnected because I don't think that people are going to be able to find their spiritual freedom when they believe that they have to be a specific way or understand things in a specific way. And they, they don't have the freedom to think because they're afraid of the political forces are important. There's so much there to unpack. We'd have to have another conversation, I think, especially given that we're like slowly wrapping up on our time. How much time do you have left? So we started a little late. I think that I think that we're good to go. I think that I feel like this was I feel like we've hit some stuff. Um I have no questions that we didn't go through. Fine, I'm happy to go through those with you. And then I have rapid fire questions. Okay. That, I have some just focused on creativity and creative process questions. Like maybe what I'll do is I'll just dump my list of questions at some point. Because I do think we really hit on the heart of like what's really important to you. I've heard this a lot. And I guess what I would ask or pose as a question is like, how do we rather than just say like, okay, well, there's no character and everyone sucks and we're all hypocrites. How do we actually aspire to have like really great character and also to choose partnerships and collaborations with people that we really, you know, who we trust their character as well? Dude, I, I just think that it's so important to really realize to really, I think, I, I don't, I cannot see how one can be really humble without being able to be like, dude, without really being like, I, I'm a sinner too. I'm like that, sinners. Well, yes. yes, I know. But like, I do think it's so important, like to really, really, to truly be humble, right? To like have the opening of receiving like any kind of spiritual wisdom. Like there has to be like, like, and we have to be humble to each other. And as long as we've idealized, uh, we've idealized this like Harvard God, then I, I think it's going to be really hard to be able to like receive. So how is like true? So let's go to right. that piece. So I think like, it's okay, by being, by have... having the humility, man, because as long as you're like that person and really recognizing like the discount that we've had of people that, you know, um, made life choices that we don't agree with, right? Like it's because again, it's not the degree. It's we look at the life it's like choices. Redemption. It's redemption, and like, well, I think I've often heard from a lot of spiritual teachers that we know 
that are like, you're not your worst action. Right. And like, there's so much more to a person than the worst thing they've ever done. Right. And like really being able to see the whole of a person. Right. Uh, um, but I think there is something about like, yeah, if we have a system that's consistently throwing people into the dirt, like they make a mistake and then they're stuck in a prison system and they can't really get out of it, then it's like they have nowhere to go. And I think that's something you've helped me to understand better, like just looking at um, some of the problems that exist in, yeah, the system. Like, cause I was like, well, if you're born in America, you can be anybody, you could be the president, look at Barack Obama, you know, like, and then you're like, no, it's not that hard. It's not that easy. It's not that easy. Um, and so I guess part of it is like, yeah, you've got some, some options. Um, and then you've also got your own limitations. I mean, Barack Obama had a very, like had a very specific pedigree. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that the big theme here is like, I think there's a really big theme around acceptance and diversity and really bringing everybody in um in order to be truly creative so to i want to say solutions. there is something too which is specifically gonna kind of help us narrow um one of the things in design and creativity and even in art is being able to design for constraints so you kind of build some constraints and say, I'm only going to use clay or I'm only going to use like this, or I'm going to do it in this format. And then you kind oh, of I like that, you know, you say, I'm going to do it in two months. I'm going to finish it in this way. Um, just so mm, you have like, interesting because if it's, it's really interesting, limited, right? Yeah. Like when I have a bunch of food in the fridge versus when I've just got like five things, love and truth, love and truth. That's your key message. And accepting all people and letting everyone have a seat at the table and how if we can really be. And a voice. It's not enough to have a seat. It's a voice. Okay. Goodbye. I love you. Right. I'm still your Me little too. sister. So like, I'm like not letting you go. <laughs> You're like, all right, bye-bye. No. I know. I've got things to do. I'm going to stop the recording. Thank you so okay. much. You're awesome. Sure. Thanks everyone for coming. Thank you for being here.